The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Well, our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Jason Romano. Jason is the host and producer of Sports Spectrum podcast and contributor to Sports Spectrum magazine. He's the former ESPN producer, as well as the author of a new book, The Uniform of Leadership. Jason, thank you for joining the conversation. Andy, thanks for having me. So good to be with you. Well, we will obviously get to your work at ESPN since that's the central focus uh, of the book. We'll get to that in a bit, but uh, let's let's get to know Jason beyond the sports. Uh, tell us a little bit more about you. So yeah, so beyond sports, that's that's. I'll start right there and say I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a husband. I'm a dad to a 16 year old daughter, and I do love sports, but. You know, my faith has really been a driving point, a central point of my life, along with my family over the past, uh, I don't know, 10 to 15 years or so. Um, but I am, you know, identified, I guess, in some ways outside of those those things I just mentioned as a person who worked in sports, worked at ESPN for many years, and currently in sports ministry now uh, with an organization called Pro Athletes Outreach and with a, 
a media company, media ministry called Sports Spectrum. So I worked there. That's where a lot of my time is spent. Uh, but as a kid growing up, sports was, you know, was my God. I didn't have a lot of faith or anything like that uh, growing up, other than kind of doing the things that you're supposed to do as a good Catholic boy, which were to go to church on Sundays with my grandfather and, you know, do my first communion and my confirmation and things like that. But a deep rooted faith, uh, a relationship, which I had never heard that word uh, with the Lord, anything like that um, didn't come until much later in my life. So, uh, but yeah, sports was the God and, uh, and continued to be for many years. And, you know, thankfully that, that love for sports has now been able to turn into uh, not only writing a couple books, and I know we're talking about those, but just being in sports ministry and taking that love of sports, but really turning it into something that I can um, use as a, a vehicle or a gateway to encourage others and to really be more purposeful in the work that I do. So that's kind of where I am right now. I guess depending on who your childhood teams were uh, would be uh, whether or not they truly were gods of your life. So like, for example, if like you were a New York Jets fan, like it, it, there's very clearly no God there. That's just more of kind of like a, you know, a, a sub God, if you will, a demigod, if you will, to, to worship. So who, who were your, who are your childhood favorites? Uh, my childhood favorites continue to be my, my favorites today. That is the New York Mets, the Boston Celtics and the, the Dallas Cowboys and the earliest team that I sort of took as my own and rooted for were the Cowboys. And that happened when I was, I think five years old, my dad tells the story and, you know, I was watching the game with him. My dad is a big New York giants fan and they played the Cowboys twice a year. And Dallas was always that second game in the double headers on CBS back in the seventies and eighties. And, you know, I watched this team play and I said, dad, who is that team with the star on their helmet? I really like them. And my dad had to be, you know, just doing everything possible to prevent me from being a Cowboys fan. I can only imagine when I said that to him. Uh, but, you know, he was not successful. And that's the team I decided to root for from a very young age. You know, five, six years old, I have pictures of myself wearing a Cowboys jersey and getting a Roger Staubach, you know, Cowboys doll. I didn't even know that they existed until I saw these pictures from when I was a kid. Um, so there's proof right there at six years old that I was a Cowboys fan. And, you know, I, I, I lived and died with those teams through my, you know, adolescent years into my teen years. And I still root for them. I'm huge fans of both or all three of those teams that I just mentioned. But, um, you know, sports, as important as it is, I don't, I don't, uh, my life isn't as impacted, I guess, now in my 40s as it was when I was younger in my, you know, high school years and even into my 20s and early 30s. But my guys were, were Daryl Strawberry with the Mets in the mid-80s. That was one of my heroes. Larry Bird was my was my basketball hero. And uh, I played basketball in high school and college a little bit. So that was the guy I tried to be like and emulate. Uh, to a, You know, I was not successful in that, obviously, but that was my guy. And then uh, in football, it was guys like Tony Dorsett, and, you know, later on when I was in high school, Emmett Smith and, you know, Troy Aikman and the triplets in the 90s with the Cowboys. So those are my teams. I, I stuck with them. I still root for them. And, you know, my childhood memories are the ones where you really kind of cherish and you look back and you remember when you were young and kind of just worshiping these guys, really. Well, there's two things you said that stuck out to me. Number one is your father is uh, so wise. Um, as you were listing your sports teams, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> man, I could really like this guy. And then you got to that team from Dallas, which 
it's it's the team that every year I hope fails in some sort of way, uh, just because you know they have the highest payroll in an NFL, and and why not? Let's just let them lose always. I, I understand. Let's just say, Andy, I understand. Okay, <laughs> I totally understand. And you know, it's funny. Twenty years ago, or thirty years ago. I would just decide right now to get into this argument with you and we would go back and forth and <laughs> suddenly I'm judging you because you're a Giants fan, but I'm much different. Now, I will say this, Andy, my brother, Chris, who's a pastor, the wisest man I know, is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I mean, diehard Eagles fan. So I say the wisest man I know, and yet he roots for the Eagles. <laughs> my dad roots for the Giants and I root for the Cowboys. So picture that household growing up <laughs> uh, uh, let me guess your mom your mom is now a, a washington football team uh, fan to just kind of you know make sure the whole division is is represented within the family seriously right no the only team that's not represented in the family is that team from washington and it's the only common ground that my brother and my dad and i can find in in the nfl is rooting against washington because we're all in that division you know, rooting for our own teams, but yeah, it, it might as well be Washington and just, you know, just complete the, uh, the quadrant there. <laughs> well, uh, I, I am a lifelong Mets fan and I'm actually in my office staring at my Daryl strawberry starting lineup figure, uh, that is, uh, prominent nice. within, within my office. So, uh, you, you, you spoke, I have one, one of my, my favorite office players too. of all time. So yeah, Andy, I got one in my office too. So we'll have to compare our starting lineups to see which one is, is in better condition. But Daryl is, it's so funny you mentioned Daryl. Every time I, I say his name, I just, I smile because A, it brings me back to my childhood. You and I can, can agree on that, that, you know, Daryl Strawberry in the 80s and the Mets and Dwight Gooden and all of those guys, that was awesome. And, and just, that was so, there's so many great memories from those years. But Daryl is now, you know, a traveling evangelist and weirdly enough through ESPN, we met and we're friends. Like we're really good friends. And he, he and I um, have collaborated on a couple of things and he wrote the forward to my book and endorsed my, my first book, endorsed my second book. And we're friends. That's weird. You know, to tell you about my childhood team and then tell you that my childhood hero is now a, a close friend of mine is very odd, but I can tell you, Andy, Daryl is the real deal, and he's really turned his life around. That's amazing to hear. Uh, I'm jealous, and and maybe afterwards we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Daryl. <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, now, in 2017, you left ESPN to start Sports Spectrum, and this isn't uh, a breaking news sports media company. It's something that goes deeper than just scores and stats. So, tell us a little bit more about Sports Spectrum. So Sports Spectrum, initially 35 years ago, in 1985, Sports Spectrum was launched, and it was launched as a magazine, and the desire and the goal with Sports Spectrum was to tell stories of sports, but to intersect it with faith, and to talk to these many athletes that are out there who have a strong faith in the Lord, and really don't have an, out, an avenue or an outlet to share that, uh, and kind of mix the two together. And I've talked to many people who, who've been Sports Spectrum magazine subscribers when they were younger in the 80s and 90s. And for many of them, you know, their family didn't want them to get Sports Illustrated because of this swimsuit issue or some other things that might have been in it. So Sports Spectrum became the sort of Christian Sports Illustrated for many households. And it, it grew quite a bit. Uh, it was not only a ministry that had a magazine, but it's a ministry that had a, a very 
popular, I guess is the right word, listen to radio show uh, on Saturday mornings in the 90s, which was the Sports Spectrum radio show. And uh, a guy named Chuck Swirsky, who is the voice of, I believe, the Chicago Bulls, was the host of the show. And so that had its run for a while. And in the 2000s, in late 2000s, the magazine was continuing. The radio was no longer a play. And, um, you know, adapting to the digital world that has obviously been changing and continues to change um, over these last 15 years, you know, Sports Spectrum saw, you know, the magazine world um, kind of pivot a little bit. And so they really focused on their website. And somewhere around 2000 and 16, I believe it was, my boss, um, Steve Stenstrom, who oversees sports, I'm sorry, pro athletes outreach, um, purchased Sports Spectrum and took Sports Spectrum on as a new ministry. Uh, Steve and I had a relationship. He called me and said, would you be interested in kind of helping relaunch Sports Spectrum? And I was really intrigued. And at that point in my journey at ESPN, I was very interested in seeing if there was more purposeful work to be done in that space. And I didn't know what that meant. I, it could have easily meant staying at ESPN, but Steve was offering me a chance to really kind of come come in on the ground swell of a ministry that had been around for 30 years, but um, needed sort of a, you know, a rejuvenation. And that's where I came in and we, we launched a podcast, which I host now. It's been around for three years. Uh, which has, you know, reached over 2 million downloads on the show, and God is doing some great things with that, and I love doing it. Uh, but really building up the ministry back to a place where people are familiar with it and know about it. Uh, I got to tell you, I can't tell you the amount of people, Andy, that have come to me and thought that I, you know, created Sports Spectrum. And I'm like, no, this ministry has been around for 30 years. Uh, we're just kind of launching it into the new digital space uh, with a revamped website, the podcast, the magazine is still around and it's still encouraging a lot of people. It's a quarterly magazine, uh, but we're really focused on the future as well and kind of taking this ministry um, that God has really allowed us to steward and to tell uh, stories from other athletes and people in the, sp in the sports world uh, and how Jesus has impacted their lives. And so how can we do that? And right now we're doing it with a podcast and the website and a magazine, but I, I see it launching even further, you know, we've created a sports spectrum podcast network where we have other shows now that are within our network that are running and it just continues to grow. And I can't wait to see what the next couple of years looks like. Now, during the period of this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, where we had no sports at, at one point, um, what was the most interesting thing that you covered during this time? That's a great question. I think, you know, for us, I will say the podcast didn't change much and the shows and the work that I do didn't change much. In fact, it only increased after the pandemic because people were available to talk. Um, you know, normally, especially in, in an NBA season that would have gone into the playoffs in April and May and, you know, football would have had its mini camps and its OTAs and, and you know, baseball season would have started and been in full, full swing. Uh, we you know, we wouldn't normally talk to a lot of the guys that we were able to talk to because they're busy. And so I thought what was interesting was it allowed us to to have conversations with athletes who, you know, were just kind of sitting around waiting. And obviously they were working out and trying to figure out ways to work out during quarantine. 
But these were people I really wanted to talk to, guys that we've had on and girls that we've had on previous interviews even, who I was just like, let's get them on again and talk to them about what, what the Lord is showing them right now during the midst of, of quarantine. So that was one big thing. I think, you know, when George Floyd was murdered and at the end of May, that really, you know, in the month of June, I think it changed everybody's, I don't know, landscape in a lot of ways, I guess, in terms of what they were reading, what they were listening to, what they were talking about as far as race. Uh, for me, I, I have had conversations with race in the past on the show. It's not something we normally have conversations about, but I don't want to limit our show to having conversations about one specific thing or not having a conversation about another. So I found in June, you know, we were having more conversations on protesting and Black Lives Matter and all of what took place after the George Floyd murder. But I wanted to have those conversations through the lens of faith and not just talk about it from a worldly perspective, but really to understand, you know, the mourning that was going on, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, as the word says, and kind of talk to people about you know, what they were going through, but again, always first through the lens of Christ, not through the lens of the media or through the lens of, you know, what people believe about, you know, movements and all that. I really wanted to see the lens of faith first, and that was eye-opening for me. It really was. It allowed me to kind of talk and learn, uh, to listen, um, to kind of go back to my own personal faith and what I believe and um, do some repenting and lamenting, certainly, uh, with others who are suffering and going through some pain, and really just dive into um, listening and understanding. I think a lot of times, whatever viewpoint you have, you know, sometimes in that viewpoint, for me personally, I might just say, well, that's what I believe, and that's right. And sometimes what I believe, or I, I truly do believe my faith, when I, believe, when I say I believe in that, that it's true, but there's a lot of layers underneath that of what I could potentially turn my faith into that might not be true. And so all I wanted to really do was listen and learn from those who were, who were uh, smarter than me and going through different experiences than I had. I thought that, man, and in that month of June, we spent time talking to athletes and pastors and, and different people, uh, you know, different denominations, different uh, socioeconomic status, you know, white, black, Latino, whatever it was, I wanted to listen and learn. And the conversation shifted quite a bit. And I tried not to do every single interview, you know, for 45 minutes on this topic. Uh, but I don't want to just neglect it either. I think it's important to continue to have conversations like that. Well, you know, of course, during this time we had, you know, baseball, you know, players and then, you know, owners are combating back and forth on the return and who's going to get what. Uh, but we certainly saw um, athletes who have been very vocal um, and really in the last couple of decades, but specifically, you know, um, black athletes who um, are are given uh, this wonderful platform to speak into aspects of 
uh, white American homes that maybe they weren't able to before. You know, that's the irony of kind of the way that a lot of people are with their sports fandom is they have these athletes they love, but really if they knew these pe- people on the streets, uh, they wouldn't give them the time of day because of, you know, the color of their skin. But people are, are listening to athletes now. They're, they're allowing them to, to speak into uh, and give them perspective into what's going on in our American culture, not just now, but what has been going on. And so it's certainly a fascinating time, I think, to be covering sports because uh, sports, uh, honestly, uh, every era transcends uh, just what happens on the field. Um, you know, you think back at um, was what was able to happen in the 1930s. I think it was 1935 or 1936, you know, Olympic Games in Berlin, um, where you got uh, a black athlete mm-hmm. who's winning gold medal here in the prime time of uh, German hate uh, against uh, minorities and against Jews. Uh, so, so what are some things that you're hearing from athletes and coaches uh, during this pandemic that um, that we should be paying attention to? I think, especially from a, from a faith perspective, Andy, I'm hearing you know that we shouldn't waste this time, right? I mean, it's easy to to get caught up watching YouTube videos or you know watching movies. I've heard a ton of people talk about binge watching shows on Netflix and. You know, I've done some of that as well, so I'm not here to judge anybody who does that. But a lot of these athletes, and not even just athletes, I've talked to pastors, I've talked to authors and speakers, and many of them have all talked a lot about not wasting this time and understanding that there can be a purpose for this time. You know, a lot of people are wishing 2020 away. And, you know, certainly there are things that happened in 2020 that I wish did not happen. Obviously, many things that I wish did not happen. Um, and even that involves sports. You know, I wish sports just kind of stayed the way it was. And, you know, the pandemic has changed that too. But to not waste it, to understand that there's a purpose in this, in this time that we're, we're going through that will be a time that we talk about to our grandkids someday. You know, people are going to come back and in 20 years and say, man, what was 2020 like? You know, those, those high school kids in 20 years, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll be a grandfather and be able to talk to my grandkids about what 2020 was really like. And I tell my daughter this at 16, I'm like, you're going to tell your friends and your, your kids someday, and even your grandkids about what 2020 was like or 2021. It might even, you know, spill over into 2021 books. This is a year unlike any other, but there was purpose within the pain, as I like to say, you know, and that's really a testimony for a lot of people is going through pain, going through times of struggle have shaped us. You know, I've shared with a few people, I said, you know, this 2020 can either define us or it can refine us. And I want to be in the refine category and come out and say, listen, 2020, you know, stank on so many levels, but I came out, you know, stronger in my faith. I came out more appreciative of what I do have, of the time I got to spend with my family, of the time I got to spend in the word, of the interviews and the different people I got to talk to, and the closer, believe it or not, that my family has gotten during this 2020 time, which I think a lot of people have seen this, because, you know, I take for granted when I don't talk to my mom for a few weeks or my brothers for a few weeks, and yet during the pandemic, we were getting on Zoom calls and talking and like, man, we got to do more of this. Why don't we do more of this? And so um, I think that's one of the things I've really learned, not just from the athletes, but just in general, 
Andy, is, is the appreciation of what we do have. And yes, it is a very tumultuous time. We still got a, a whole election that we have to get through, and that's going to make, make things even more divisive, I think. But, you know, there are good and there's purpose within this pain that we can find. The question is, do we choose to look at that or do we choose to look at what, you know, it's the glass half full, glass half empty, you know, scenario that people paint. And I, I know it's sort of cliche to say it, but I really am a glass half full. I try to be a glass awful guy because I, I, I find when I look at things from the perspective of not what I don't have, but what I do have, you know, that's having that attitude of gratitude that changes, it changes mindsets. And for me, that's what I've been trying to focus on. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. Now, you've got a new book out, The Uniform of Leadership, Lessons on True Success from My ESPN Life. Uh, you invite readers into your 17 years at the World Leader in Sports Broadcasting as a way to look through um, a, a tangible and challenging aspects of leadership. And you wrote, a culture like ESPN's pulls you in and transforms you. It helps you awaken talents and gifts within yourself that you've never knew you had. Push to the edge of your discomfort, you will inevitably grow. You know, most people would love to write a tell-all book about all the famous athletes and stars they encountered in a place like ESPN, but you chose to process your experience from a developmental standpoint. Um, what, what motivated you to write this particular way? That's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because when I was, you know, if you had talked to me five years ago, Andy, and you and I were just having a conversation Besides talking about the Mets in the World Series, which was a great 2015 year, we would have also talked about, you know, if I was to ever write a book, what would that book be? I would have said it would be a story of, or stories of my time at ESPN because it was the most common question I would get from people when they found out what I did for a job was, what's it like to work at ESPN? What was it like to be around these people uh, in a culture like ESPN? And so I would share some stories and I would tell them you know, my thoughts and all that. But when it came time to write this second book, so I wrote a first book, which had really nothing to do with ESPN. It was one of those stories about forgiveness and my own personal journey of forgiveness with my father. But the second book, when we were putting it together, I'm like, if I'm going to write a book, this is the book I want to write. But I didn't want it to be two things. I didn't want it to just be stories of my time at ESPN, which is fine. That, that might entertain a few people. But I didn't just want it to be that. Uh, I wanted it to be a, a book that could encourage people and that could help them, like you said, developmental, develop their skills as leaders. But I also did not want to write a book that was a tell-all book and just uncover all the dirt that goes on at a place like ESPN. You know, other people can do that. You know, I think that's not who I am. That's not what I wanted to do. Um, I liked my time. I loved my time at ESPN. So were there moments where I could sort of share that, were, you know, sort of uncovering some dirt, yeah, maybe a couple, but 
that's not who I am. And, uh, you know, my faith plays a role in that too. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, gain any kind of anything in, in the midst of tearing down someone else. You know, that, that's not my goal. That's not who I am. And so I thought, okay, I'll write this book, but I wanted to encourage people. I wanted to point people back to, to God. Um, but I also wanted to be read by everyone and even people who don't believe in God or people who have different faiths. I want the book to encourage them as well on their leadership journey. And that's why we wrote it. And the, the book intentionally is written with stories, but it's also written with, you know, application as well. And so people can go through some questions, help them develop as a leader, help them understand what wearing the uniform of leadership is and incorporating it into their own life. Yes, they'll read stories of people who wore the uniform of leadership properly during my experiences at ESPN, but I really didn't want it to just be about ESPN. I mean, I, that's great, and, and we can always talk about ESPN, but I needed for, for people in my, my – I feel like God wanted me to share stories, but that would also be applicable to their lives and not just something that incur, you know, that entertains me, but actually is something that I can tangibly put into play – in my life every single day. We live in a culture of now, and you're aware well of this from the sports world of, of hot takes and 24-7 news. Uh, you wrote, leading the yeah. right way does not always produce immediate results. Just because you cannot see anything changing does not mean that something beautiful is not taking place. You know, for our organizational leaders listening to this, how might you guide them on seeing the long game of consistent day-to-day -day commitment for their work and leadership? Well, I always say, you know, the journey versus the destination is the great battle that we face every day. You know, when we think about each day waking up, doing the same thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and it kind of gets monotonous. And that could go for our jobs. That could go for family. That could go everywhere. And you can put take a little bit of that for granted, I think, because uh, we're so like, where are we going next? You know, I just came back from a vacation and it was like, what are we doing the next day? What are we doing the next day? And it's like, well, let's just enjoy today and this moment right here. You know, I read two books last week and just sitting down and reading for an hour straight, you know, with the sun beating down on me was a moment where I could just sit and stop and enjoy and not have to think about where I was going. And I think in the business world, and for many people who work in business, we should have goals and places that we want to go towards and achieve, but it's the daily day, daily day-to-day -day seeds that we plant that really are what allows you to go towards that journey and reach that destination. And we miss those. I missed those for many, many times at ESPN. I would wake up and I'd go to work and I'd be like, all right, here's another day to do this. And, you know, I looked back, back to that. I didn't appreciate it as much as I wish I, I, I do now. Of those day-to-day -day encounters with the people that you see, the people that you say hello, the people that you stop and encourage, the people that you have conversations with. Because when we get down to it, Andy, I keep saying the people, it comes down to relationships. And the people you're with. Uh, you know, my mindset was so focused for the first half of my time at ESPN on myself and achievement and accomplishment and climbing the corporate ladder that I missed all of these moments that I could have had 
that I did have but didn't appreciate with the people that I worked with. I missed the idea of what true success is about, which is the impact that you can make on other people and not about what you accomplish yourself. And I think when you focus on others, the others focus, focus on living a life that is serving and loving and caring for the people that you're around. That's where I think you can really, you know, understand why those day-to-day, you know, little seeds that you plant matter so much. And so have goals, you know, the destination is important. Where are you going? But man, do not lose focus on the journey and all the little things that happen every day. Now, we remember those big things like this is a day we're going to remember. But it's like each day has its own little blessings that you can find. You know, those God winks that I've read about. You know, there's a great book called God winks out there that talks about those day-to-day moments and not missing them. And so often we do because we're so focused on where we're going as opposed to where we are. You get to this in the book a bit. You say consistent leaders, those who focus on the hearts and minds of those they are leading each day, creates cultures that are consistently inspired. You know, business is a dog-eat-dog world, and and often the church can be the same. So, so what does it practically look like for you know organizational leaders that are listening to this to think about how they uh, focus on the task at hand while also pouring into the people that are around them? I think the important thing is to, you know, I I talk about in the uniform of leadership, the model of being third. I am third. You know, being third is putting God first, but then wearing that uniform of leadership properly, putting others second, or if you're not a person of faith, it's others first, ourselves, you know, God first, others second, ourselves third. So being third in the model. But if you're not a person of faith, it's just really serving others first. And I think the day-to-day wearing of that uniform is is not easy for us because when we wake up every day, a lot of us put our grab our phones and we put on, you know, the social media world that just encompasses all of us. And suddenly we're looking for the likes, we're looking for the approval, we're looking to see what other people are doing and comparing, and we lose that focus on serving others instead of comparing ourselves to others. And I think in the day-to-day life that we live, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's with our families, you know, the Bible talks about comparison being a thief of joy. It really is. Comparison is a danger that we all fall into. It's a trap. And I think the best way to not fall into that trap is to, to literally take ourselves out of the equation and help others. And for me, that day-to-day, when I got older, when I started coming into my last five to ten years at ESPN, I would wake up and I would go to work and I'd say, okay, let me try to be intentional here in giving whatever I can give to doing the best job I can give, but to serve God, but then to serve others. And what did that look like, right? And so it would look like me talking to somebody else. How can I help you today? Is there anything you need from me? Um, taking someone out to lunch, having a conversation about things other than our jobs, which I got to tell you, Andy, it's hard to go to work every day at ESPN and not just talk about work, 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 work. But my goal is always to go a little bit deeper and trying to do that too. So 
Um, those are a couple things that come to mind. I just think that model of being third, it really is, uh, you know, something I learned when I went to Indiana Wesleyan a College um, that's out in central Indiana probably about a year or two ago, and I watched them, and that was their model to to be third in the process of God first, others second, ourselves third. And I thought, man, that's not just a model to live as a Christian, but that's a model to live as a person, whether it's in our jobs or whether it's in our homes, you know, to model that. Uh, when that happens, that's wearing the uniform of leadership properly and not playing for ourselves first, because that's the great struggle every single day is putting ourselves first. You know, we, can't, we should care about ourselves, and I think the order is important. You know, God doesn't say that he doesn't want us to care for ourselves. He just wants to make sure the order is in its proper form. You know, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. You know, and he said that, you know, you are, your, your two greatest commandments are to love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbor and not yourself. So it's important to care for ourselves, but the order is really where the sweet spot, I think, lies when we go about our, our daily lives. You know, you obviously have had a lot of amazing encounters with celebrities and athletes, coaches, and ESPN personalities. In, in, in personal interactions, um, who surprised you the most? Hmm. Surprise. I think, you know, Daryl was one of those guys, Daryl Strawberry, you know, especially at ESPN, because I... I I was really excited to spend the day with him. So he didn't, he didn't surprise me in the sense that he was going to make this, you know, mid thirties ESPN producer, go back to being a 12 year old, you know, kid from Ravina, New York, who loved Daryl Strawberry. I was giddy about getting to meet him, but what surprised me was that we didn't talk about baseball the entire day. And I still tell people this story. Listen, Daryl took an interest in me, the person, the dad, the son, the husband, he didn't take an interest in me and Jason, the baseball fan. In fact, I don't even think the first time I met him that I told him I was a Mets fan or that he was my hero. Uh, I was trying to be professional and trying not to like, you know, weird him out with some crazy fan, you know, hanging around with him all day. So I just did my job and had conversations with him. And as much as I wanted to talk about the 1986 New York Mets, we talked about faith. We talked about parenting. We talked about my father, you know, and the alcoholism that he's battled for many years. And Daryl obviously had that same battle and repentance and forgiveness and all of these really hard hitting topics in an eight hour span during the breaks that we had together. That's what we talked about. And so that's surprising only from the sense that, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a Mets fan to the core since 1983 because of Daryl Strawberry. And we didn't talk baseball one time. Now, since then, because we've been, you know, been able to become friends, I've asked him questions about the Mets and asked him questions about, you know, the 86 team and told him how much I loved, you know, him as a kid and all that. But, I mean, that's about as surprising as you can get, Andy, that your childhood sports hero comes to ESPN and you get to spend the day with him and you don't talk about anything that has to do with baseball or your childhood sports love uh, that you had for him. And, uh, but I tell people that was probably the most impactful day I ever had because, you know, it allowed me to build and grow a relationship with my hero that has really nothing to do with the Mets or baseball. You know, if I had met Daryl Strawberry that day, 
not known anything about him. I was not a Mets fan and we still were friends. Like to me, that is the most important part. And you know, that friendship is, goes so much deeper than baseball that I'm just thankful for it. So, um, so yeah, that's about as surprising as you can get. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might not have said it, but it was in your eyes that day. <laughs> you know, just, oh yeah. yeah you, you really wanted to look deep into my soul. And saw this <laughs> kid saying, oh my gosh, look who I'm hanging with. But he was probably uh, being nice to me. We'll just say that. <laughs> it was that. It was that occasional squeal that came out of your mouth, and he said, "What'd you say? Oh, nothing, nothing." Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My voice went a little high pitched more than once that day. We'll just say. <laughs> uh, you know, story from my childhood um i grew up a dolphins fan because mom and dad were from florida and so i he just loved dan marino and after his retirement he was playing at a golf tournament and doing some signings and i was last in line uh to 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 have anything signed by him and his uh agent came up to him and said it's time to go and so he started to get up to leave like I, i'm the last person in line and I was like, this is oh, no. not going to stand. I just screamed out. I was like, Dan, sit down. I've been waiting my whole life to meet you. And to his credit, he laughed out loud, sat down, and he gave me about five to ten minutes to just talk to him about whatever. Uh, so it was a pretty, pretty amazing experience. Um, but, um, yeah. so That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. What's, what's your hope for the book uh, and those that read it? You know, my, my hope is a couple things. You know, initially it was like, yeah, I hope they're entertained. I hope they actually enjoy what was written, right? But it goes back to understanding that whoever reads the book, and I don't think it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm going to back up a minute. A couple of weeks ago I was at church, uh, my church that I, my hometown church, and my pastor was gracious and let me preach that morning in, in late July, a couple of days before the book came out. So I preached a sermon on the uniform of leadership and you know, we had a few books that were available for, you know, the small social distance group that is allowed to come back to church in person. It was like 40 of us from a church that's normally 200. And this older lady, she's probably in her 60s or 70s, comes up and she goes, the uniform of leadership. Oh, I don't want to read this. And she didn't even realize that I had written it. I think she was just kind of just being, you know, bold and blunt like many, you know, older people can be. And she's like, I don't want to read this. I'm not a leader. And I looked at her and I said, no, but you are a leader. And she goes, no, I'm not, sweetie. And I said, but you are. And I said, let me explain. I said, you're a leader because you're alive. I said, you're breathing. And leadership is not about position or title. It's about impact. And it's about serving others. I said, and I know there's no doubt in my mind that you can impact and serve other people. And that makes you a leader. And I don't know if it convinced her to buy the book. I don't remember that. But it wasn't, you know, a selling point to her necessarily, but it's really what, what I hope people will take away from this book is that they recognize that they are a leader right where they are. They don't have to have this, the title or the status or be the vice president of this or the, you know, the senior executive of this. They, they're a leader because they're alive and they have an in, influence and an impact on other people in their lives. You know, if you're a parent and you have kids, you're a leader. You don't look at it as me being a leader or you being a leader, but we're leaders and we make an impact on others and we serve like crazy to our kids because that's kind of how it works. But it's one of those things where I want people to, when they read the book, I want them to think that they are leaders where they are. They can take this and they can apply this into their lives and understand that wearing a uniform of leadership is not about, you know, what job that they hold or position that they 
they have each day. It's just about living a life of sacrifice and serving others. And if, if people come away with that, you know, even just one small little thing in their lives that maybe pivots. I heard Bob Goff talk about pivoting like a quarter in their life, you know, and just making that little pivot each day. You know, if this book can help you make that little pivot each day, then, you know, that's what it's about. And honestly, the bottom line, Andy, is if people read this book and don't have any interest uh, or see God in it at all, then I think I've failed. You know, I want, ultimately, I want anything that I do to point people back to Christ. And hopefully in reading this book and reading my first book and listening to the podcast or anything that I do, if it's pointing people back to me, that's fine, but I've failed if that's all it's doing. It's, it's, it's something that I want people to kind of be pointed back to the example of Jesus. Uh, and this book, The Uniform of Leadership, really centers around the example of Jesus being a servant and coming to serve and not be served. Well, if you want to stay connected with Jason, visit jasonromano.com. Follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Of course, go out and purchase The Uniform of Leadership wherever books are sold. Jason, thank you for staying faithful as a Mets fan. That just says so much about your character. Uh, every every Listen, year, hey, I have hey, high hopes in April. Uh, let me tell you something. If you're a Mets fan, you are not saying that to brag. Because <laughs> I tell people, you are a long-suffering Mets fan. You know, one of the great accomplishments in my life, but one of the great failures in my life, is passing on my love of the New York Mets to my daughter. She loves the Mets. It's our bond. It's where we can come together and watch a game and root for the same team. And then, you know, they start playing and they blow a game and they blow another game. And I say to her, listen, Sarah, I am so sorry that I root for this team and that you think that you can root for this team because I root for it. Because we all know how this is inevitably going to end. And so you're right. It is staying faithful. I tell people all the time. And honestly, I say that about the Cowboys, too, because Dallas hasn't won anything in 25 years. So if you say you're a Cowboys fan or if you say you're a Mets fan, you know, you are being faithful because they, neither team has won anything in 25 to 30 plus years. So I know you don't like the Cowboys, but I, I stand by my team. <laughs> well, the only thing I would amend of what you just said is that the Cowboys haven't purchased a championship in 25 to 30 years. So. Was that a little bit? Purchased, I like that. Yeah. That was a little bit low. The early 90s teams, man, they were all, they were drafted players by Jimmy Johnson. But I understand what you're saying. Yes, that's fair. I can take it. All right. So so beyond this, thank you for, for using your personal story of success to help us think deeply about how we can grow as individuals and also as leaders. You're welcome, my friend. This has been great, Andy. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.